I'm Jacob Goldstein. I used to host a show called Planet Money. Now I'm starting a new show. It's called What's Your Problem? Every week on What's Your Problem? Entrepreneurs and engineers describe the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. How do you build a drone delivery business from scratch? Our customers, they want us to do this unbelievably reliably in the storms, no matter what, uh-huh. and hundreds of times a day. How do you turn a wild dream about a new kind of biology into a $10 billion company? We didn't have a particular technology. We didn't have a way of making money. <laughs> um, it was a great way to start a company. <laughs> I highly recommend what it. Could, what could go wrong? <laughs> How do you sell millions of dollars worth of dog ramps for wiener dogs in the middle of a pandemic? We're working with 400 influencers, and the majority of them are actually not a person, but it's actually a dog. <laughs> I can tell you right now, the dog ramp guy has some very interesting problems. Listen to What's Your Problem on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 49. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineering leaders thrive. Today, I chat with speaker, author, and former champion football player Tanvir Bangud about digital transformation projects and why these projects are much less reliant on technology than you might expect. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I, of course, am Pat Sweet, and I'm thrilled to have you back here with me today. As always, a really interesting conversation to share with you today. I've got Tanvir Bangu, who's a really interesting character, has a fantastic background, lots of really interesting experience to share with us today. But as is usually the case, a few things I wanted to share with you first, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, First of all, thanks to everyone who signed up for the Productivity for Engineering Managers course. I hope you're enjoying that already. Of course, you can still check out the course that's still open and available at engineeringandleadership.com slash P-E-M, P-E-M standing for Productivity for Engineering Managers. And if you lead an organization and you're interested in having the managers or leaders on your team take this course, do reach out to me. I offer it live. I offer it online. Uh, There are lots of different options there, so please do reach out. You can always use the contact page of my website, engineeringandleadership.com slash contact, or find me on LinkedIn. The next thing I wanted to mention was a webinar that my friend Jeff Perry is putting on called How to Grow Your Personal Leadership for Engineering Career Success. It's going to be great. Those of you who have seen my work with Jeff or seen any of Jeff's previous webinars, you know it's fantastic. So that's coming up Wednesday, March 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern. There'll be a link to that in the show notes to make it easy for you to register. And of course, that's free. Again, Wednesday, March 23rd, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's move on to the main content for today. The world of engineering has had something of an obsession with digital transformation projects over the last decade. And the COVID-19 pandemic has only accelerated that trend. Ideas like digital twins, digital threads, and model-based engineering are gaining steam as organizations realize the necessity of improving the quality and speed of their offerings, while at the same time cutting costs associated with poor access to information and weak efficiencies. 
If your organization hasn't already gone through its own digital transformation project, I'm willing to bet it's on the horizon. My next guest has led some significant digital transformation projects throughout his career, and it might surprise you to learn that success in these projects has a lot less to do with technology than you might expect. Tanvir Bangu is a best-selling author, acclaimed speaker and coach, and a former executive and college football national champion. Tanvir was the VP of tech at Freshy and a director at RBI, one of the largest restaurant companies in the world, and I should point out here, the parent company to my beloved Tim Hortons. Tanvir's latest book, The Pro-Business Mindset, How to Lead Amid Disruption and Chaos, breaks down his unique leadership framework based on what he learned on the football field, where he won a national championship and two conference championships with the McMaster University football team. Tanvir holds a Bachelor of Commerce, Marketing, and Finance, and an MBA from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. And just a very quick note before I launch into the interview, there's a single curse word used during the interview that I don't bleep out, and I just wanted to let you know in case there are younger ears in the crowd. All right, with that said, here's my conversation with Tanvir. Mr. Tanvir Bangu, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me. Exciting for the for the talk today. Yeah, absolutely. This this is exciting for me because it's a topic that I've not covered yet on the show, but is something that I, I suspect a lot of the listeners have either heard of or been involved in, and that is digital transformations and, and digital tra- yeah. transformation projects. And to set the scene a little bit, maybe it would be best just to define terms and make sure we're all talking about the same yeah. thing. So. When we talk about digital transformation, what what do you mean by that? What what is digital transformation? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's funny because anytime I ask somebody what a digital transformation is, I get a different answer every single time. Yeah, uh, there is no definition for it, um, but you know, some people think it's social media, some people think it's making a new app, um, some people think it's um, you know finding a new digital platform to sell your products through. Those are all parts of a transformation, but they're not digital transformation. The way I like to define it is the reason we are in businesses to, you know, mostly for for-profit businesses is to drive revenues, right? Digital transformation is basically shifting your revenues from traditional channels to now digital channels. So for example, instead of going into a restaurant and buying something over the counter, you're now ordering ahead. Instead of going into Walmart and paying at the store, you're now ordering online, picking up in store or getting it delivered. The shift that happens from traditional to digital channels and the entire foundations required, whether it's technology, people, change, process, is all part of the digital transformation. Okay. So it's a fundamental shift in how business is conducted. This isn't just, hey, let's make an app. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a fundamental shift in your business model. That's what it really is. Right. So in, in your experience, are digital transformation projects uh, more customer-facing, more internal, a little bit of both? Does it, does it matter? Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the way to define a digital transformation and where it should start, uh, you always want to look at two or three things. First thing is, um, where are your customers headed? You know, today, next year, three years from now. Second thing is where is your company today and where does it need to go to support the customers? And the third thing is what are the competitors, the environment, the regulations showing you that has to now, you have taken into consideration. 
taking into consideration all these three factors, customer, company, and competitors, is what defines what your digital transformation should look like. So, for example, a lot of people, and I've you know been there, I've seen it happen, is they'll say, well, hey, we want to go digital first. We, we want to become the next, let's say, Starbucks or the next Amazon. Let's launch an app. That's all we have to do. Mm-hmm. A year in, two years in, you end up wasting a lot of money. You end up wasting a lot of resources, yet you do not drive the ROI you're looking for because an app is a very small part of what you see of a digital transformation. What now has to happen instead of an app is you also have to look at, well, if I launch this app, how do the people in my company have to shift what they're doing? How do the departments today, whether it's marketing, whether it's technology, whether it's support at the, at the stores, how does their fundamental operations now shift to support this new app? And now what about the foundations we have in store today? If you're a retail company, for example, launching an app means it has to now take orders and push them into the store. How does that affect your operation at the store? Uh, another example I'll give you is a lot of times I've worked with companies and you'll see reviews that says um, their digital transformation failed because look at the reviews of customers on the app store. Um, their app does not work. Uh, I cannot, uh, you know, it, it, does, it takes my money, but it doesn't get me what I need. Or it's, uh, I went to the store and I couldn't find my product. Most of the issues are a lack of operational alignment in the business versus a technology problem. So this is a really interesting statement you've made here, and it, it reminds me of, of something one of my one of my best friends, also an engineer, used to tell me a lot. He's an industrial engineer. He used to say, "Technology is really good at making bad processes uh, worse faster, <laughs> create problems Absolutely. faster." Absolutely. And, and I get the sense that this is kind of what you're you're leading into. And I know one of the things that you you've kind of drawn a line in the sand over is that digital transformation projects ultimately ultimately aren't really technology projects. And I think that's, an, that's a, a curious statement to make because obviously there's a technological element there. There has to be. But what do you mean by that? How is it that, that digital transformation projects aren't at their core yeah. about technology? Well, so if you were to have a, let's say, a goal of becoming a digital first company, and you told me that, hey, all of my competitors today, Tanvir, have an amazing app, um, and they're driving 20% of the revenues through this app. It does not mean that you make a new app. What it means is you have to first look at what is your goal as a company? What is your objective? Is it to play in the same market as these guys? Is it to go into a different market? What is your objective? Then you have to look at why are you not able to hit that objective today? Maybe you already have an app. And this is from my experience with working with large companies. They already have apps. They already have websites. But the reason they cannot hit these targets was because the foundations, people, operations, and technology, which is legacy technology, those were not set up to have the, I guess, the adaptability of the technology that you needed and also the volume that you, that was required to shift and adjust in this crazy environment that we're in. So it ends up becoming a project that is first and foremost foundational project, where if you want to become digital in the future, you want to be able to take any direction based on what you, the environment is showing you, you must have the right foundations. Two, the people that are now working at your company that are overseeing this, they, don't have, they have to shift their mindset from thinking that technology is a IT team 
that is working on an app, it has to shift to, hey, tech is one of the core pillars, such as finance, such as marketing, such as operations, that is enabling our company to move forward. In fact, I even believe that marketing, tech, and operations has to become one unit if we are to adjust and make all these great technologies come to life in the future, which is another way we can dive into this later, Pat, is when people say, I'm a tech-first company. We're a tech-first company. What they mean is that technology is the core of every single department and every single employee. It's not a function. It's not a project. So this is really interesting because obviously the show, most of the folks who are, are listening yeah. are they're engineers, they're, they're computer scientists, they've got tech backgrounds. And the way we look at the world is, is through, the through, through the lens of technology yeah. and what technology enables, whether it's, it's an app or, or anything else for that matter, doesn't, doesn't really matter. We see the ability for tools and tech to to solve yeah. problems, and I think we we often get ourselves tripped up thinking that, well, if we just design the tech right, it'll all work. And it sounds to me like you're saying not not so fast. No, you you have, and this is the fundamental mistake that I've seen a lot of leaders make is uh, they'll say, well, hey, let's let's become a tech first company. So what do we first thing we're going to do? We're going to go and copy our competitor who's great at technology. Second thing we're going to do is hire a bunch of engineers who are going to now make us these great products, which does not work because you are not solving a problem. You are just trying to do things that you think are going to work without understanding your core business, how it aligns to your business, and how will it impact what you're doing today. Instead, what has to happen is you have to understand that the goal, for example, is for us to become a tech-first company, which means that we have to drive 20% of our revenues, for example, through digital channels. Now, what that means for us is that we can now either have an app, an online channel, maybe we can even partner with social media platforms that allow us to also sell stuff through, let's say, Instant Messenger. Now, for these three goals, let's assign um, you know, objectives and teams on building other technologies in the best way possible that aligns to not just the technology, but also how do our people internally do things today and how does that now change? And the lastly is having someone there, which is not technology or business, but a hybrid that can connect the existing company to all of these amazing projects that you have. The biggest mistake I've seen people make is having a digital lab that's on its own, doing its little thing, and it mostly just ends up costing money and it never really solves the true problem. Yeah, th this is a this is a problem all over the place, and 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 it's tricky. It's tricky because yeah, you, you you simultaneously want technical people and creative people to have the time and space to think and experiment, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you, you can't commercialize something, you can't operationalize something until those experiments meet the real world, <laughs> and and the people yeah. who need to use the tech. So. And, and th this is the kind of problem that, that we see all over the place is, is this idea of siloing, where it's much easier to control a department or a team and, and manage it if it's discrete, if it's got clear boundaries. But the ultimate work product doesn't, doesn't work as well. H how do you get around that, that problem? How do you really integrate across functions? What, what, kind of, what kind of practical things can you do if you're a leader in an organization, you see this problem, what could you, what could yeah. you do to try to solve it? 
Well, you know, I'll give you an analogy of and of a sports team. So I played football and and McMaster, and a lot of the work that I do today is analogous to sports and how leadership works. A and, and sports teams are great for this reason, Pat, is because they have already been operating in disruptive, uncertain, changing environments. Right at halftime, another team or in the second quarter, another team might pull a trick play. Now you're down fourteen nothing. Or you fumble the wrong way, and now you're on twenty-one, nothing. Like, holy shit, your playbooks have gone out the window. Um, now, what's great about a sports team in this context is that it always has a playbook that everybody follows. It doesn't matter if you're a receiver, if you are a running back, if you're a lineman. Everybody's following the same playbook. Everybody's following the exact same plays, and the coach makes sure that everybody understands what their goals and objectives are. For that game. Similarly, the companies that are doing great, the companies that exist, have been uh, even accelerating performance over the pandemic, have done one thing great, which is aligning their teams on the goals. So, as long as the leadership team, and it starts at the top, leadership team has to make sure that this is our top level goal. It has to be a combination of financial and culture and all those things. These are our goals. Here is how everybody's, everybody's going to be taking on the different actions and here are the milestones across teams. And here's how everybody's going to work together to achieve these milestones. Now, some of those milestones are going to be long-term, five years down the road, three years down the road. And for those projects, let's iterate, let's fail, let's make, make mistakes. There are some projects that have to be completed in the next six months. For example, when the pandemic happened, having curbside pickup. That has to happen right away. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have the alignment of the top and you're distilling and you are pushing down through each channel of the organization, make sure people are aligned on what their goals are and who they're playing. Uh, for example, as an analogy, um, what plays they're going to be able to make. As long as people understand those, you are marching toward the same goal. The biggest problem that I've seen as we're coaching today is different teams have different objectives that do not align the top level goal. Mm -hmm. which creates silos, which creates issues across departments. And you end up having friction that should not be there where, you know, stuff like, Oh, the tech team's always too slow or marketing always throws something last minute on us. We can't change direction so fast. All of this is avoidable as long as you have alignment at the top and making sure the leadership team across the functions has alignment as well. So, so this all sounds like it's, it's informed very much by, by your experience in yep. in digital transformation projects and i'd like to touch on um maybe maybe a story from from one of the times you've been involved in uh, uh in a project like this and maybe touch on the uh the good bad and ugly uh you know th there are a lot of people out there who are, yep. are obviously looking to execute projects like this uh, frankly even if it's not a digital transformation project there are yep. plenty of people out there who who see the need to interact with adjacent functions and work across functional boundaries. Um, maybe you could share a story of, uh, of, of success and maybe, <laughs> maybe one failure, where things yeah. did not go yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I can share a recent example um, with, with a company and a client. Um, so we were, the objective was to build again, you know, digital transformation, which I always start off with is to become a digital first company. Um, the the problem that the company had was everybody had put technology in a silo. You know, when I was at, when I was actually physically um, in the office, you can feel that the tech team was just on a stone, and it was this more of a support function. Yet, 
they wanted technology to become the face of the company and you know have 50% or more revenues driven through digital channels, which means now that the tech team should also be sitting in front of the CEO's office, not just the finance team, right? So there was a fundamental shift that had to happen. Now, the, the problem was the technologies that were implemented before were all customer facing. For example, yes, we, oh, by the way, we want to drive digital sales for the retail company. Let's, let's draw, make an app, right? But there was no foundational work there. So the first thing that we did was not to improve app ratings. It was not to go and, and start to have new processes to make this integration better. It wasn't to start, hire a bunch of developers to start fixing bugs. No, the first thing we did was look at the root cause. And the root cause of the problem why the digital sales were so low was because there was a lack of integration and the systems that were in place across the, across the units, across the retail, uh, retail stores globally were not strong enough to handle all the demands that the customers were placing. So you had a fundamental problem between what the customers were looking to do, uh, you know, which is you have another brand who has amazing experiences. Why can't I have the same experience here? The app, great, great, great interface. But when you were trying to replicate the same thing other brands did, it would actually backfire because the underlying technology was not there. So instead of fixing and hiring a bunch of developers and fixing the small root causes or small issues on the app, we actually put a big bet on ripping and replacing the entire underlying foundation, the entire integration platform where the, let's say, all the orders were coming in. Uh, let's say uh, having the, the right analytics in place, having a cloud infrastructure, I call the hub and spoke model, where it doesn't matter if it's today or five years from now, you can enter, you can add, you can rip out different pieces of technology that are going to become relevant in the future that we don't know yet. For example, voice ordering, uh, Alexa, or ordering through WhatsApp. We had to build a foundation that will allow you to do all of these things in the future so that in two years' time, we don't have another problem. So the good news here was that it took a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money, CapEx, which companies hate because it's on the balance sheet. It took a lot of that. It took a lot of getting... Um, people to buy into the vision because, again, this kind of stuff takes a lot of time for you to have results, right? It takes two years, three years, four years down the road. But we actually stuck with it and we did it. And what you saw was that as things kept changing, as, you know, post-pandemic things are now even more uncertain and turbulent, regulations are coming in and out. This foundation is allowing these, this in other companies that we worked with, it's allowing these companies to now reap the benefits of these programs. Now, an app is a, an extension of what the customer sees. It's not the entire technology. Let's say tomorrow we're seeing a lot of people ordering voice ordering now, or they're ordering through WeChat or WhatsApp. The abilities are there. So it was a lot of work, but I'm glad that we were able to rip the foundations apart and actually build something for the future. Um, so looking back, it looks like, wow, you know, good that we did that because now we're set up for the future and uh, forever comes our way. As a, as a systems engineer, th this is music to my ears because I, I said another way, what, what I think you're saying is, you know, you have to understand not just, not just the, the app's role in a business, yep. but, but how the business is working 
as a whole, Absolutely. right? It's a, it's Absolutely. it's an entire integrated system, and then you also have to look across uh, a spectrum of of time as well. Yeah. What's yeah. the job today? Where are we going in the future? And and design for that. What this all comes down to in my mind is is the importance of of knowing thyself, right? Understanding the business as a whole, understanding the organization, yeah. how it ticks. Why is that so hard? It, 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 it's the kind of thing that I see I see countless examples of, and I, I'm sure you have too. Why is it so hard yeah. for people to kind of step back and and see the forest for the trees before they they jump right in? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I, I I'm fortunate that I'm a a business leader. I'm an MBA who was put into a managerial role in technology with zero experience. So I. Was a, was had a business experience and I had to learn the technology part uh, back at uh, RBI. That was my first tech role in 2015. And I was great because I saw both sides of the fence. I saw that, hey, as the leader, here's what's important for your business. Here's how businesses have to make money. Here's why we're in, the, in operating in business. But now I had this, you know, correlation or this, um, this like my colleagues, my teams in the technology side, and I saw how they were thinking. Hey, I want to make the best product ever. I want to make sure this app is um, free of bugs. I want to make sure that we are doing things that others have never done before. And now how do you bring those two things together where the business says, hey, I just need it enough to make money. Now you have tech team engineers who really want to do it the right way, but it might not always make sense. But sometimes do it the right way is what makes sense. And the company says, I don't want to put the money up right now. All the CapEx, let's wait a few years. So... I had the for, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of be on the both sides. And as I grew in my career, I realized that the biggest skill set that we're lacking in business today, especially at a leadership level, is the inability to combine technology and business as one unit in your own strategic mind. So as a leader, great at business, but technology seems daunting. As tech leaders, great at technology, but I don't want to understand the business part. If you can understand the business and how technology enables your business, and it's not hard, it just takes some practice, this problem will automatically clear itself away. And the problem, problem occurs because a lot of the tech folks are just tech dominant. A lot of leadership, the CFOs, the CEOs are business first, and you fail to understand each other. So if I think that's one of the reasons why I think it's, it's lack, of, lack of training, that we don't have the training in business schools that says, hey, to be in tech, you don't know, you need to know how to code. There are other things you can do in technology. How do these? How do you maybe oversee technology teams? How do, what are the, some of the major things in technology that you have to implement in your business to stay relevant and vice versa? A lot of technology schools, and I know this from you know, my wife's a PhD uh, engineer as well, they don't have a lot of leadership courses. So you're going into the workforce now, or we're all young leaders, and you have not been trained on how to combine these two worlds, which is what business is today. It's a combination of business and technology. That's the fundamental root cause. And I know I'm kind of harping on a little bit, but it starts here. It starts with lack of combining these two functions as your business. It's interesting you say that. I recently had a fellow by the name of Duncan Oyvar on on the show here. We had a really interesting conversation. His business... Uh, really revolves around providing frontline staff, like engineers, yep. with core business skills. 
and then unleashing these people with these new skills to find opportunities to improve the business. And it's amazing the light bulbs go off when when you teach an individual the difference between revenue and profit. When mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. teach someone about the importance of throughput, when you teach someone the you know the the the, the value of having cash on hand, it, it's not it's not rocket science. No, it, you, no. you and I both have MBAs, but you, you don't you don't need an MBA to wrap your head around you, the, these you core just concepts. Need to, you need a weekend, and you need to be able to Google stuff. Right, the rest exactly. is on you. Are you willing to put in the work to learn? Because you know you're going to be a great leader in the future if you do this, right? I mean. I love it when my team, let's say when, you know, in the beginning of a project would come to me and say, hey, I want to do these five things on the website, or I want to implement these five things today. And the same person six months later comes to me and says, hey, I think we should implement these two things because this is going to allow us to do a great user experience, but also make sure that we can hit our business goals. That to me is when this person has not grown as a leader in a company that had trying to become tech first. And that's what we need to strive for. If you're going to have people thinking that way, that is like literally music to my ears. Um, you're always going to be on the right path. So what might you recommend to someone who um, has a background in technology or engineering, computer science, yeah. who kind of has this interest in the business side of things and sees the value of, of exactly what you're saying, of, of broadening themselves and having kind of a strength at that, at that intersection between business and tech? Um, of course, you could you could sign yourself up for an MBA, but that that's pretty extreme. What what might you recommend to someone who's willing to invest time, but but maybe not the hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is for a, another degree? I totally agree with you. You know, you don't need an MBA to to become great at this. Um, the people that I know who have been able to make make the leap and are now doing really well, um, Pat, it starts two places. One is when you are working as an engineer as tech first first in a tech first role is to seek out projects and seek out experiences that allow you to work with as many different people as possible because the core fundamental in business is working with people mm-hmm. we're in the in the business of people so the first thing i always tell people uh, when they ask me this question is hey Find a project, a cross-functional project, take yourself out of your comfort zone where you actually have to present to people. You have to listen to their opinions. You have to make an argument on why your reasoning is better than their reasoning in a respective manner. That is the first thing that always helps because it gets you talking to people, it gets you uh, understanding people's opinions and also makes you, uh, allows you to present an argument and make decisions in business. That's the first thing. It's all about the people side of things. The second thing is actually learning, and this you can do this online, you can do this on your own time, is learning how to make better decisions. We're not taught this in, in, in school. I know in an MBA classes you have, you know, a consulting lab, for example, it's the decision trees, right? But you don't need an MBA for this. You can literally go online and Google, how do you make better decisions through decision trees? How do you do case analysis? And learning how to think through a problem logically will make all the difference. And that's all it takes is if you have the tech skills, you can make better decisions. You can work with people. You're pretty much almost 80% of the way there. These are the two things that I've been doing as well that have had helped me as a young, when I was a young manager, all the way through to the VP level. I think that's that's great advice, and and even for people who are are interested in in, in maintaining kind of their their technical track, yep. better decision making, 
is, is a core skill and something I, I, I preach all the time. Uh, th- this has been very, very interesting stuff, Tanvir, and I, I really appreciate everything you, you've shared on, on, on digital transformation. I, I want to I pivot a little bit to your book, uh, which came out sure. uh, within the last few months, uh, The Pro-Business Mindset. And it'd be great to know what that's about and and how um, and how that mindset and and the model that you present in the book might be applied to projects like digital transformation projects or or even more broadly than that. Absolutely, you know, I'll start with a story, um, and this and this is again, it'll help I think engineers, but also leaders. Um, when I was you know in the, a young manager, um, I had graduated from from my MBA. Uh, even before that, actually, I was I played football as I mentioned earlier. We won a national championship. Um, I graduated, started working at, at corporate, you know, corporate. Started doing really well. Um, was fortunate to be at companies that really rewarded meritocracy, so I was able to go up the ranks very quickly, um, and fortunate enough to lead great teams. Now, I looked back at my career and I said, you know what? There's something fascinating about what I've been doing. You know, I'm in technology without a, without a tech background. I have been leading teams, global digital transformations. You know, we've made some pretty good progress in crazy, chaotic, disruptive environments. Um, what is it that allowed me to do this? And a lot of the times I get this question from other MBA students that I would go and speak to. So I started reflecting a little bit and I realized that everything that I did, Pat, was not, a, you know, it wasn't anything hard skills related. It wasn't technology that I learned. It was all very similar to how I had played on the football field, mm-hmm. believe it or not. It was talking to other people, resolving conflict, having a plan, putting in the work every single day, building your foundations, rebounding from failure, celebrating the small wins, and always having you know your goal in the eyes on the prize. So things like that. And that was exactly what I what allowed me to personally accelerate my career, but also lead all these great digital transformations. So people ask me, well, how is that possible? You know, digital transformations are tech projects. I was like, well, not really, because technology is a function of what your team and you can achieve. It's it's an end result. But it first starts with whether it's a project that I did, whether it was at a large company, small company, it started with, hey, having the right alignment on the goals, having the right buy-in understanding where we want to get to, building the right teams, executing consistently, not letting distraction, and you brought it up before, is not letting the shiny toy syndrome that I call, right? And, and saying, oh, this looks pretty interesting. Let's go jump on this one. Oh, let's change direction and pivot. How do you not let that affect you? All these are principles that I you know, learned in football. And, and in 2019, 2020, oh, this is pretty cool. I think people can benefit from this. So I started writing this book. And I, I also started a podcast where I've interviewed hundreds of athletes turned executives on exactly what allowed you to lead in business in this crazy time. And almost every single person said it was leadership. They never said it's technology. They never said it was, you know, how do you balance a checkbook? They never said they know how to do Excel modeling without using a mouse. We know how cool that is for some of the finance folks, but it all came back to people and financial uh, people and leadership. So I, so I was like, well, you know, I think this methodology can really help people. So I built the methodology called the PRO business mindset. The O is the off season, where in the off season you're in sports, you're building 
your playbooks, you're building your teams. And similarly in business, you got to invest in your foundations as we talked about it before. Instead of go making an app, figure out what's actually the problem with the business, get buy-in from leadership team, understand who's, um, how do you become adaptable? And then the regular season comes in in sports. It's where you actually play your, you know, your games and business. It's doing the work, executing consistently, staying on the path, um, celebrating the successes and the failures. And then finally, the playoffs, which is the P of the pro business mindset, is the postseason. And in business, this is where you have to have a short memory because you are going to make mistakes, and which is fine, but you got to rebound. Uh, how do you adjust your playbook when the pandemic happens? How do you make sure as a leader, your team is working crazy hours, but how do you make sure they don't burn out? Hmm. All of these things combined is, you know, the pro business mindset is the methodology that I built. And I said, well, I want to share this with the world which is why the book uh, came about, started writing it in 2021 and just launched February 1st uh, of uh, 2022. Yeah, well, c- congratulations on, on the release. It's uh, Thank you. You know, a, a, a wonderful time to be doing kind of deep, work deep thinking where, where you can't uh, you can't leave the house half the yep. time it's <laughs> it's a, yeah. a beautiful opportunity to, to hammer out a significant project like that um uh, listen it, this has been this has been just a, a wonderful conversation Tanvir. i've really really uh, appreciated the insight if someone is is interested in the book or, or interested in learning more about you and your work what, what's the best place for them to go Absolutely. So you can you can buy the book today on uh, major outlets, uh, wherever you get your books from. It's on Amazon.com.ca, Barnes & Noble Indigo. Uh, that's the first place. The second place is you can check out my website, TanerBangu.com. Uh, primarily doing a lot of keynote speeches and workshops on pro-business mindset. So I help leadership and teams build stronger teams in disruptive certain environments. And we apply a lot of the, the core principles from the pro-business mindset. And lastly, um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I always share a lot of great content there and uh, and small uh, tidbits and videos. Excellent. And uh, I, I can put links to all of the above in the show notes. Uh, so that'll make it easy to uh, easy to reach out. Uh, Tanvir Bengu, I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me here, Pat. It was a pleasure. You take care. Thanks. Thank you so very much, Tanvir. I really appreciate your insights, your knowledge, your your wisdom from from this experience that that you've had. You've built up this really unique experience leading digital transformation projects. A few things that stood out to me included the fact that digital transformation projects are about enabling businesses and solving problems. It's not just about building a shiny app. It's not just about technology for technology's sake. And he really hammered that home that if you don't have a particular purpose or a particular gap that you're trying to address, a digital transformation project or any technology project for that matter is going to fall flat. And I think it's really, really important that people listening to this take that away, that if you're not filling a particular need, don't get suckered into launching a tech project. It's fun and it's exciting and it's sexy, but it's not going to move your business forward. One of the other things that we touched on was this this idea that alignment on goals is critical. This idea that in order to break silos down, you really need at the very top of the organization, a common understanding of what your goals are. What are you trying to achieve as an organization? And if you don't have clear goals and people don't 
know what those clear goals are, even if you do have them, frankly, you're you're headed for trouble and maybe even doomed. Frankly, this is super, super important. It's not just about getting functions to work together. That's one of the big benefits, but you really do need at the very top, a clear sense of what your organization is there to do. And that's what is going to enable success. It's going to give digital transformation projects purpose, and it's going to help functions cooperate with one another. It's super, super important. One of the interesting ideas that Tenvir suggested was this idea of working in cross-functional projects if you can. If you want to get better versed in the world of business and kind of leave the comforts of your technical work as an engineer, try to interact with people doing other things. It seems very simple, but it's incredibly powerful to try to find ways to interact with the outside world, so to speak, even, even though the outside world is still within your organization. If you can find ways of working these multidisciplinary projects, it's amazing how you can grow, the, the people you can meet. It really can help your career in a significant way. So that's another really highly recommended bit of advice that Tanvir offered. Thank you once again, Tanvir. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, if you had any comments or questions or any feedback on that interview, I'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment at the bottom of the show notes page at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 49. Next up, we've got the engineering and leadership mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to read my favorites right here on the podcast. I got a lot of feedback from people sending their congratulations, their well wishes on my new role with the American Society of Engineering Management. So thank you so much for the support and, and the kind words. I really appreciate that. If you're listening to this podcast, but somehow are not a member of the American Society of Engineering Management, I would highly encourage you to join. It's a fantastic community, a tight-knit community of people who are trying in, in various ways to advance the, the practice and the understanding of engineering management. So very much aligned with what I'm trying to do here with the podcast. So again, if you're not familiar, go to asem.org. There's absolutely a place for you. We would love to see you there. And there was a comment from Lizzie G who commented on a video I posted a little while back about the importance of having systems in place to maximize and sustain productivity. And she said, love the video, Patrick, the part on booking solo meetings and allocating 20% open time for the known unknowns is something I will implement. Thank you for sharing this. And I really appreciate your feedback, Lizzie. I'm really glad you're taking action. This is always what I want to see as someone who distributes content and shares ideas with the world, when people actually take action with it. That's incredibly motivating for me. What Lizzie's referring to here is this idea that I promote that you should be able to book yourself meetings. You should be able to commandeer your own time. And the way I think about it is that if other people are allowed to book your time, why, why aren't you allowed to book your own time? I think it's super important to make space for deep work, for getting things done. If you don't control your time, someone else will. So control your time, do it, take action. And the other idea there was that 20% is I like to keep equivalent to a day a week, normally about two hours a day, free. I, I, I save it as my own personal management reserve in case things go wrong. And 
something always goes wrong, things always pop up. And when that happens, I have time allocated to that. And if for whatever reason I don't need to use that time, well, I can work ahead on tomorrow's work. So super, super valuable there. Thanks again to all those who reached out. If you'd like to chat with me or leave a comment, please do find me on LinkedIn or leave a comment in the episode show notes. Well, that, my friends, is all the time we have for the show today. I promise to be back very soon with our next episode, which is going to be episode 50, which is a big milestone. I'm really excited about that. And for that, I'm going to be doing a solo episode. I haven't done one of those in a while. And, and talking about the idea of this, the four-day work week and the emergence of that idea and what I think we're all getting wrong when we talk about that four-day work week uh, could, could be a bit controversial. But uh, trust me, I think, I think you'll like it. I really hope to see you then. Uh, before we go, don't forget there's a webinar with Jeff Perry next week, How to Grow Your Personal Leadership for Engineering Career Success on March 23rd. So I hope to see you there as well. If you enjoyed the show, I would love it if you would subscribe and stick with us, join the community. And if you could leave an honest review, that would be great because that helps me understand what people like, what people don't like, and it helps other people find the show as well. So that's a, a wonderful way that you can help things improve here. I'd really appreciate that. For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 49. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. To learn more about the Engineering and Leadership Project, including other podcasts, articles, free resources, courses, consulting, and much, much more, just go to engineeringandleadership.com. That's engineeringandleadership.com.